there is a biblical obligation to recite the story of the Exodus on Passover evening at the Seder. But what words we use to describe the details of our experience in Egypt is largely left up to us. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 57, The Mine Attic of Sherlock Holmes and a Seder in Jerusalem. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In April of 1948, a series of Passover Seders were convened in Jerusalem. Its celebrants were Jewish fighters that would ultimately become part of the IDF. Though Israeli independence would only be declared in May, the British were destined to leave within a few weeks, and the war had already begun. There was therefore a sense that this Seder was also a celebration of the nascent Jewish state. But the Jews of Jerusalem were besieged by their enemies, and so David Ben-Gurion was forced to fly into the city to take part in the celebration. The Seders were overseen by Rabbi Shlomo Goran, who tells us that, quote, we conducted the Seder standing because there were so many soldiers and there was no room to sit down. Then Ben-Gurion addressed the crowd, telling them that this was the first time after 2,000 years of exile that the Jewish people was celebrating the Festival of Freedom as a free nation in our own land. Even though we were still in the midst of heavy fighting, we were taking the risk and celebrating our renewed freedom. End quote. As we will see, the celebrations were the product of the joint effort of Jerusalem's Jews and the sacrifices of those beyond the sacred city. But perhaps unbeknownst to many of them, they were also fully reifying for the first time in many centuries, a series of verses in Deuteronomy that lie at the center of the Seder and the heart of the Haggadah. Throughout Deuteronomy, we discover how Moses, in the last weeks of his life, reminds Israel about events that have occurred in the past 40 years and how he exhorts Israel to never forget them, thereby ensuring that the memory of these moments is passed on to the next generation. For example, we have the commandment to remember Sinai, chapter 4, verse 9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes saw, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. Make it known unto thy children and thy children's children the day thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Chorev. And then there is 25.17. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way as he came forth out of Egypt. Here Moses is molding the memory of the Israelites for the generations yet to come. A fascinating metaphor for what is taking place is provided by Arthur Conan Doyle in his description of Dr. Watson getting to know Sherlock Holmes. Watson is, of course, overwhelmed by the brilliance of this man he has met. But the good doctor is also struck by what Holmes does not know, or rather what Holmes has chosen not to know. Watson learns that Holmes has no idea whether the earth goes around the sun or the sun around the earth. Here's the text, told in first person from Watson's perspective, describing his conversation with Holmes. You appear to be astonished, he, Holmes said, smiling at my expression of surprise. Now that I do know it, I shall do my best to forget it. To forget it? You see, he explained, I consider that a man's brain originally is like a little empty attic, and you have to stock it with such furniture as you choose. A fool takes in all the lumber of every sort that he comes across so that the knowledge which might be useful to him gets crowded out, or at best is jumbled up with a lot of other things, so that he has a difficulty in laying his hands upon it. Now the skillful workman 
is very careful indeed as to what he takes into his brain attic. He will have nothing but the tools which may help him in doing his work. But of these he has a large assortment, and all in the most perfect order. It is a mistake to think that that little room has elastic walls and can distend to any extent. Depend upon it, there comes a time when for every addition of knowledge you forget something that you knew before. It is of the highest importance, therefore, not to have useless facts elbowing out the useful ones. But the solar system, I protested. What the deuce is it to me, he interrupted impatiently. You say that we go round the sun. If we went round the moon, it would not make a penny worth of difference to me or to my work. This is what Holmes says. The theologian Gilbert Mylander, in a fascinating article about memory, cites this passage, not, as he notes, because an attic-based metaphor is necessarily an accurate scientific description of how memory works, but rather because what we choose to remember and what we allow ourselves to forget is central to who we are. In a similar sense, Moses is constructing the national memory attic of the Jewish people, ensuring that they always recall particular formative events, Sinai, the attack of Amalek, and then there is the Exodus. In an extraordinary command from God transmitted by Moses, Israel is given a succinct summary of all that transpired in Egypt. And they are called to remember and recite this summary every year. This is the law of Bikurim, first fruits. Chapter 26. And it shall be, when thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God gave thee for an inheritance, and dost possess it, and dwell therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of thy ground, which thou shalt bring in from thy land that the Lord thy God giveth thee. And thou shalt put it in a basket and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. And thou shalt come unto the priest that shall be in those days and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come unto the land which the Lord swore unto our fathers to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thy hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. The farmer brings his first fruits to the temple, thereby linking his success to God. He does so in the place where, in the words of the Torah, God will cause his name to dwell, which, of course, is ultimately Jerusalem. Thus is the connection to Jerusalem knitted into the Jewish soul. Imagine an Israelite farmer tending his land. The age of Egypt, of slavery, of the Exodus is long gone. When the first fruits of his crop seen in his fields and orchards. Then, as the rabbis describe, he would tie a string around those fruits, separating them thereby from the rest of the crop, and would bring them to Jerusalem as a gift to the priesthood. The rabbis describe how in the Second Temple era, the farmers of the Holy Land would stream toward Jerusalem, and how they would be welcomed ebulently by the Jews of the sacred city as they made their way to the temple with the literal fruit of their labor. But giving up of one's first fruits to the priests that serve the God of Jerusalem is not enough. The farmer is also obligated to recite in Jerusalem a succinct summary of his history in the presence of the priest. Thus Deuteronomy continues, And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and he became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians dealt ill with us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And we cried unto the Lord, the God of our fathers, 
And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great fearsomeness and with signs and with wonders. This obligation thereby ensures that the Exodus is placed at the epicenter of the memory attic of Israel. But here, ladies and gentlemen, is where it gets really interesting. There is a biblical obligation to recite the story of the Exodus on Passover evening at the Seder. But what words we use to describe the details of our experience in Egypt is largely left up to us. As the text that we now know as the Haggadah, the recitation of the Seder, came into being in the Second Temple era, it was these verses in Deuteronomy, once recited by Israelite farmers over their first fruits, that became the primary verses through which the tale of the Exodus was told. These verses in Deuteronomy were the centerpiece of the Haggadah, with the verses of Exodus only serving as an addendum, as a gloss. Why? Scholars offer two possible explanations. The first is that in an age before printing, the text of the Haggadah needed to be something that was simple and accessible to all. The first fruits recitation would have been known by Israelites everywhere during the period before the destruction of the temple. To use the Holmesian metaphor, the Bikurim text was the central furniture of the mind attic of the Israelite. Thus, it was to be expected that it would serve as the primary source of the early Haggadah. But there's more to say here. According to Deuteronomy, after describing the Exodus, the farmer bringing first fruits to the temple would then add further descriptions about his history, words which are in the Torah, but not mentioned in our Haggadah text today. Let's pick up the farmer's recitation where we left off. Chapter 26, verses 8 and 9. The farmer says, And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great fearsomeness and with signs and with wonders. And he has brought us into this place and given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The recitation of Bikurim connects the exodus and the arrival into the land. And that, perhaps, is why it ended up in the Haggadah. During the Second Temple period, the Haggadah would have been recited in Jerusalem. Jews would have come from all over, including the Diaspora, to mark that moment in the Holy Land. Some suggest, therefore, that during the Temple period, the Passover recitation, the Haggadah, included this verse about the Holy Land. Deuteronomy's first fruits declaration was chosen to serve as a Passover recitation because it connects the tale of the Exodus to the entry into the land and to Jerusalem. All the Seder celebrants could say, in the very same words recited by Israelite farmers, and he has brought me to this place, meaning one of the purposes of the Exodus was to bring Israel into the land so that the temple could be built, so that the Seder could be celebrated in Jerusalem. It was only after the destruction of Jerusalem that this verse about the land was dropped from the Haggadah. After all, those celebrating a Seder in Yemen or Poland could not say these words, that God has brought us to this place, meaning to this land, to this city, to Jerusalem. Thus, the Haggadah bases itself on the recitation of the farmer in Jerusalem, thereby forever linking the Seder to Jerusalem. But because the Haggadah was also for so many centuries largely recited outside Jerusalem, Therefore, the Seder celebrants concluded with the words, next year in Jerusalem. Suddenly, ladies and gentlemen, we realize why that Seder of April 1948 was so resplendent. 
Why, if you will, that night was different from all other nights, from all other satyrs that had happened for so many centuries. For the link between the Exodus and the land, and between the Exodus and Jerusalem, was suddenly being realized as it once had been. And this was true not only about that Passover evening in Jerusalem, but also about the days leading up to it, when the Jewish memory of Jerusalem was made manifest in the Holy Land. The book O Jerusalem describes the siege around the city in April of 1948. Convoys to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv, bearing food, had to traverse a dangerous passage known as Bab el-Wad, and the Jews in the convoy were fired upon by the enemy from the heights above, with many Jews falling in Bab el-Wad. Ben-Gurion therefore ordered a special operation to get in tons of food before Passover to allow Jerusalem's Jews to hold out. It was called Operation Nachshon, named for a prince of Judah who, according to the Midrash, had courageously during the Exodus stepped into the sea, first among all Israelites, right before it split. Those overseeing Operation Nachshon commandeered a bunch of trucks from Tel Aviv and also forcibly drafted their drivers in order to get the convoy to its destination. The book's description of the convoy making its way toward the holy city is worthy of being quoted. Here is what it says. Quote, Shaking the night with the steady drone of their engines, the trucks ground slowly up the pass toward Jerusalem. Some lurched along with two or three tires flattened by sniper fire. All along the column, men shouted, Kadima, Kadima, forward, forward. End quote. The book describes the convoy being led by a Jew named Harry Jaffe, forging the path in his blue 1947 Ford. And it continues, quote, In Jerusalem, the news that a convoy was coming rippled through the city. Hundreds of people ran down Jaffa Road to watch it come in. Women in bathrobes, schoolchildren, religious Jews coming from morning services in the synagogue. They hung out of windows, clambered onto rooftops to watch in awe and gratitude. They sang and cheered and clapped as the convoy drove into sight. They were a desperate, hungry people existing that week on a ration of two ounces of margarine, a quarter of a pound of potatoes, and a quarter of a pound of dried meat. For two weeks, not a single vehicle had reached the city, and now they were rumbling forward in a steady stream as far back as the eye could see. Dozens of trucks bumper to bumper, crammed with supplies. Mature men watching from the curb wept openly. Children scrambled up onto the trucks with flowers. Even the sullen truck drivers were transformed. Rolling down the corridor of ecstatic human beings, they understood they had saved a city. Above all else, one memory would remain engraved upon the minds of those Jerusalemites watching the convoy stream down the streets of their city that happy April morning. It was the first glimpse many of them had of the convoy, the front bumper of the blue Ford of Harry Jaffe. On it, Jaffe had painted six words in English. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem. End quote. So imagine Jews bringing food to Jerusalem from across the land to an ebullient city, just as farmers once brought their foods to an ebullient city from across the land. An operation whose name linked the salvation of Jerusalem to the Exodus, just as the first fruits recitation linked Jerusalem to the Exodus. An operation sustaining a city so it could mark Passover and link the land and the forthcoming state to the celebration of the Exodus. These Jews did so because they refused to forget Jerusalem, Jerusalem where the first fruits had once been brought, and they thereby highlighted why in the end the state was born, why the Jews returned to the land, 
because of the intellectual and emotional memory attic of the Jewish people, one made by Moses right before his death, which ensured that the remembrance of a land and a city would never die. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.